familiar? If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. When a new mother begins to breastfeed her child, she spends much of her time focusing on getting the perfect latch and bringing in her milk supply. Sometimes, no matter how perfect her child's latch may be, a tight frenulum or tongue tie can greatly hinder this process. I'm Dr. James Ochi, a pediatric ear, nose, and throat doctor, and this is The Boob Group, Episode 16. Breast milk, it does a baby good. Silly daddy, boobs are for babies. I make milk, what's your superpower? If my breastfeeding offends you, put a blanket over your head. Dairy diva, don't be lactose intolerant. Nursing nature's own breast enhancement. Meals on heels. Whoever said there's no use crying over spilled milk, never had to pump. Breast milk, all udders are inferior. Whatever your point of view, we're here to support your breastfeeding goals. We're the boob group, because mothers know breast. Welcome to The Boob Group, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. I'm your host, Robin Kaplan. I'm also a certified lactation consultant and owner of the San Diego Breastfeeding Center. At The Boob Group, we're your online support group for all things related to breastfeeding. And don't forget to stay updated on all of our upcoming shows and giveaways by following us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, and Pinterest. Today, I'm joined by three fantastic panelists in the studio. Ladies, will you please introduce yourself? I'm Carol Potter. I'm 32 years old. I'm a registered nurse, and I have one daughter. Her name is Mallory, and she's three months old. My name is Erin Estevez. I'm an international business operations manager. I won't say my age. I have (laughs) one child who is nine months old, and his name is Cash. And I'm Megan Weber. I'm 26 years old and a billing clerk, and I have two children, a three-year-old girl and a four-month-old son. Well, ladies, welcome to the show. Sounds familiar. If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. It was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. Before we get started with today's topic, here's Amber McCann talking about the best online breastfeeding resources. 
Hello, Boo Group listeners. I'm Amber McCann, an international board-certified lactation consultant and owner of Nourish Breastfeeding Support, just outside of Washington, D.C. I'm here to answer some of your most common questions when it comes to finding quality breastfeeding resources online, such as, oh my goodness, what is going on with my breast? Here's a little secret. Board-certified lactation consultants, the experts of breastfeeding. Check in at www.kellymom.com from time to time. True confession, if I type the letter K into my Google search box, kellymom.com is the first site that pops up. Google, it knows me better than I know myself. Kelly Mom is an online resource for evidence-based information about breastfeeding. It contains articles about hundreds of breastfeeding questions and concerns and interprets research in a way that is understandable to the mothers that need the information. Have a question about plugged ducts? Kelly Mom's got a page for that. Wondering about how to add in solid food to a baby's diet? Kelly Mom has gathered the information in one place. Have an unexplainable red patch on your breast? Kelly Mom can give you some guidance. Though Kelly Mom should never replace the medical and lactation care you would receive from your doctor or board-certified lactation consultant, it can calm your fears until you can connect with a professional. In addition to the site, Kelly Mom also has excellent forums for connecting with others interested in breastfeeding and a great Facebook page that highlights articles and blog posts you might be interested in. Check out www.kellymom.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Amber McCann, and I'd love for you to check out my website at www.nourishbreastfeeding.com for information on my business and a little bit more about where to get connected with great online breastfeeding support. Or join me on my Facebook page. It's www.facebook.com backslash nourish breastfeeding support. And if you have a great online breastfeeding resource you'd like us to know about, please send an email to amber at nourishbreastfeeding.com or share it on the Boob Group Facebook page. Be sure to listen to the Boob Group each week for more fantastic conversations about breastfeeding and how to find great breastfeeding support. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today on The Boob Group, we're talking about tight frenula or tongue ties and their effects on breastfeeding. Our expert, Dr. James Ochi, is an ear, nose, and throat doctor with Children's ENT of San Diego and one of our best tongue tie experts in San Diego. Dr. Ochi, it is a pleasure to have you on our show today. Thank you. So, Dr. Ochi, can you explain what a tight frenulum is and what it looks like? Yes, the frenulum is the structure right below the tongue that anchors the um, base of the tongue to the floor of the mouth. And if it's unusually tight, it can cause difficulties with latching and breastfeeding. Interestingly enough, though, in recent years, we've recognized there's a posterior version, which is essentially almost, it's so subtle, it's extremely difficult to recognize on physical exam. Yes, so the one that was most easiest to see is the one that actually goes to the tip of the tongue, which would actually pull it back, but these posteriors are much more challenging to define. That's exactly right. Okay, Um, and how would a mother know that her baby has a tight frenulum, and what symptoms would she be looking for? Well, that's a great question, too, because what I've realized over the years is that because the physical exam findings are subtle to non-existent, 
going by what the mother tells me is extremely important. So really, the the symptoms revolve obviously around breastfeeding for the mother, such as painful breastfeeding or frustration, uh, nipple damage in terms of cracking or bleeding, pinching of the nipple after nursing. Um, the mother often can get so upset, obviously, she cries and does so frequently. And because of these difficulties, her milk supply can go down. As for the child, uh, the baby ends up taking forever, seemingly, to feed because they're getting so little milk. They often fall asleep at the breast from fatigue. They gulp lots of air, so they have gas, which has to come out one of two ways, obviously. <laughs> and they often make clicking sounds because they're breaking the seal often. Okay. Panelists, you all have had babies who have had tongue ties. And so, um, Carol, if you don't mind starting, when did you first find out that your baby had a tight frenulum and what were the symptoms that she was showing? Uh, she was four, four weeks old and um, her symptoms were she would take forever to feed. She was very gassy. She often didn't seem to be satisfied by a feed. She... Um, would pop on and off the breast um just she was totally uh not happy with breastfeeding and she wasn't getting nutrition or food and um she was constantly hungry so feeds were taking a really long time and um i think that's all i can yeah just wasn't just wasn't fun for either one of you no very very uh difficult emotionally for myself and for mallory okay how about you aaron well, I learned very, very shortly after giving birth. Um, the very first time he latched, it was excruciatingly painful, even with the drugs and the euphoria. And everyone kept telling me that it was normal to feel such discomfort. So I passed it off and con- continued to try and nurse him exclusively. And it was literally toe curling, excruciating pain. So I requested a lactation consultant immediately. One came in. The very next day, I asked for another because no change had been made because the latch was perfect. They were looking at me and everything seemed prima facially excellent. However, it was horribly painful and Cash just cried constantly. He wasn't satiated. He wasn't satisfied. Another lactation consultant came in, and she's the one who, upon inserting her mouth onto his, her finger into his mouth, realized that he had the tongue tied. And two days later, he had the procedure done. Okay. How about you, Megan? Um, actually, both my children had this. And with my, my daughter, when we were in the hospital, she was never able to latch. And when a lactation consultant came in, you know, they gave me all the paperwork about it, saying she's probably going to have to have her tongue um, clipped. And when we went into the pediatrician's office a few days after we left the hospital, the pediatrician said, no, 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 it's fine. So hers never got taken care of. Um, With my son, he nursed right away after um, giving birth. And even when we went home for two days, it was fine. And then all of a sudden, nothing. He wouldn't latch at all. And it was... It was horrible. It was painful when we could get him to latch, and he would last just a few seconds. And then we went um, back to the hospital and spoke with a lactation consultant, and that's when she said, you know, he really does need to get his tongue clipped. So probably about a week a week after his birth, he got it done. 
Um, and Megan brings up a really good point. Um, Dr. Ochi, do you find that all tight frenula cause breastfeeding challenges and or that some babies can breastfeed even by having a tight frenula? Yes, no, that's a, that's a very interesting and pertinent point. I, I've been impressed over the years how a child can seemingly have all of the physical findings of ankle glossia or tongue tie. And when I ask the mother how it was for breastfeeding, and they'll often say, oh, I went 16 months, no problem. So, I, again, I think that looking or uh, paying attention to what the mother has to say is paramount because, obviously, I've had plenty of mothers bring their babies with um, blatant tongue tie into the office asking me to clip them. And if they have no symptoms and the baby's doing well, you know, as a surgeon, that's exactly who you don't want to do surgery on because there's no opportunity for improvement. Yeah. Mother and baby are happy, and the only thing I can do is to mess that up. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, don't 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 fix what's not broken. Exactly. Essentially, you know, it's my son. Both my sons are um, have, you know, pretty obvious frenulums. Um, but my kids are seven and almost six now, and so at the time, I don't I don't know if they were necessarily checking them as frequently as yeah. maybe we do now, and um, and we had challenges in the beginning, but. Um, Maybe I just had a really good milk supply because it didn't affect it in that way. And so they actually eventually kind of overcame those challenges in the first couple weeks. And so, um, but the interesting thing though is, is, and there might be lots of reasons why, but I've seen this with some of my other clients too, that the milk supply didn't stay as long. And I think it was because they had such copious amounts of milk. And then when we have these hormonal changes at about three months, when our body is really kind of supply and demand and making sure we're eating enough, um, that maybe their tongues weren't functioning near as well as maybe they could have. But um, but one of my sons definitely has a lisp. And it's something that and they both kind of have... Um, uh, gastrointestinal issues, which I know are sometimes connected with it. And so it's something that my husband and I have discussed and said, well, maybe when they're older, if it's still presenting an issue, then they can make that choice if they actually wanted to have um, it clipped. But at this point, it's not worth it. I think that's a good, good point. I know all of the ladies here ha ended up having their children's um, frenulums clipped. And so how did you decide to make that choice? Erin, um, do you mind? No, not at all. Well, I had done extensive reading before I had my baby. And so I was aware that the possibility existed. Um, I also knew that percentage wise, it could make no difference at all. But I had to give it a try because I had wanted to breastfeed. Um, also, I had seen another lactation specialist, Miss <laughs> Robin, and she also um, gave me the support I needed to make the decision. My husband and I had it done. And funnily enough, it was when we were holding him when they clipped him, that my milk came in. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, okay, now I can give it to you. Exactly. <laughs> how, <I know. laughs> how about you, Megan? With the, I know your daughter didn't end up having it clipped, but what about your son? How old was he? He was uh, a week old when he had it clipped. And, you know, it was on a, I remember it was on a Friday when um, we were told that he was going to need to have it clipped. And so obviously we weren't going to have it done over the weekend. And so that whole weekend we spent, you know, researching, deciding if this was the right choice, you know, like, oh, do we want to put our son through pain just so he can nurse? How important is this? And, you know, my uncle is a dentist and he was actually um, saying, that he does it through laser, um, with a water laser, and that it's absolutely painful, there's no bleeding. So then in my mind, I'm thinking, well, which do I do? Do I do a clipping or do I do this water laser? And, you know, in the end, we, we decided to clip and it was the best choice for us, for sure. Yeah. How about you, Carol? 
so around four weeks, around the time that I had called the lactation consultant to come and check Mallory because something just wasn't right with her. Um, I was losing my milk supply. I had a I had a great milk supply to start, so much so that it was um, flooding her every time. And that's the only way she was really gaining weight was through this intense milk supply. And that started to go down, and I kind of noticed something wasn't right. So she found her tongue tie on a Thursday, and we got it clipped the following week. By the time we were able to arrange the insurances and all that information to go to the the ENT. The ENT. So we decided in our case that there was no choice. She wasn't, um, when my milk supply went down, I was trying to pump and give her milk through the bottle and she couldn't even take milk from a bottle. So we knew that, you know, both something in her oral structure was compromising her ability to eat. And she was born pretty uh, small so we were really worried about her weight gain so um, and in the fact that she couldn't take milk from a bottle and she would dribble it out and she would inhale a lot of air um, it was because then that wasn't even another option no so absolutely so we got it clipped um, around she was about almost five weeks old okay Dr. Ochi do you think that there's a window of opportunity to clip it for babies to then kind of get back on the breastfeeding track well, I, I would say that in general, of course, the earlier the better, because once a baby figures out that it's easier to get milk out of a bottle sometimes, then it's like they look at their mother and say, why are you making me walk the long <laughs> way around the block? Yeah. <laughs> you know, cut that out, you know, and, and that becomes a problem then, because even if you clip that baby's tongue, they're still going to want to have the bottle. And if they develop nipple aversion, that's... That's a problem. Okay. Do you think that there's a defining moment or is it baby to baby? It is baby to baby. Okay. I've been impressed because I've done this sometimes in, in the office in children that are five or six months old. And they can often, you know, go to the breast and have no problem. And then I've done this for babies, you know, that are tiny, little baby, you know, just a few days old. And they don't go back to the breast. So okay. it's, it's all over the place. Okay. And do you find that you're seeing more tongue ties now that you've been in this practice for so long? Do you think it's just something that lactation consultants are catching earlier on? Because we just hear about tongue ties all the time now. Sure. I, and I, I appreciate exactly what you're saying because when I was in residency 23 years ago, I might have done maybe one or two of these in five years. But it's literally very common for me to do several a day. And it's amazing to me how frequent this entity shows up. And it's also amazing to me how many of these mothers come with posterior tongue ties in their babies. So the answer to your, all your questions is yes. I, I'm bowled over by, by how common it is now. Do you think that it's overdiagnosed? Well, that's an interesting question because how do you explain the sudden tsunami of tongue ties? Surely... You know, we didn't just suddenly have a, an epi epidemic <laughs> of this. <laughs> it's not catching as far as I know. And so, you know, I think that it is being recognized more often. And things that used to be attributed to, um, say, I, I think a lot of mothers are too too um, readily, uh, well, they, you know, I've had so many mothers say, well, you know, I have flat nipples, so that's why I couldn't nurse my children. Well, Maybe it was the baby's tongue. Right. In so maybe some of these other things that have popped up for mm. reasons why women were not able to breastfeed yes. um, could have been a tongue tie, just we weren't really looking for That's them at exactly that time. That's exactly right. Okay. Well, when we come back, Dr. Ochi will describe the procedure for clipping a baby's tight frenulum and ways to ensure that the procedure is successful. We'll be right back. 
Okay, and we're back. So, Dr. Ochi, what exactly is a phrenotomy, and can you explain what happens during this procedure? Well, phrenotomy simply means cutting the lingual frenulum. That's all it means. And I typically do this in the office on the same day as the office visit. And simply, what happens is the mother holds the baby in a position where the mouth is open. And I can see inside the mouth, and then I take what's called a groove-seeking director, which is simply a metal retractor that、uh, lifts the tongue and exposes the frenulum. And you then take a clamp, which basically just clamps the frenulum and makes it so that there's less blood loss. And then you use a pair of scissors to divide the frenulum. And then, for me personally, what I do is I use silver nitrate to stop bleeding because I find that that Does two things. It does minimize blood loss so that it's often less than a couple drops, and secondly,、um, it makes the procedure shorter. And thirdly, it's been my contention, although this is not proven, obviously, that it it decreases the chance of it coming back. Oh, so like scarring down.、Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's good to know. And then immediately afterwards, I I ask the mother once she settles her baby down to try to breastfeed in the office. Would you say that most of them feel a significant difference? I, yes, I mean I, I've been amazed by how immediate the improvement is. Okay, fantastic,、um, ladies. What what was it like to watch your baby go through this procedure?、Um, Megan, do you mind starting? Yeah.、Um, For me, I didn't have to、um, hold my baby down. There was an, an assistant in the room who did that, and so I. It obviously was not. Easy to watch, but I will say that it was very quick, less than thirty seconds, and I was holding my baby, calming him down. So I think that I stressed out a lot more about it than you know what it, how painful or how hard the actual procedure was. Okay, how about you, Erin? I just kept telling myself that there was nothing I could do to help him avoid this; that it was a necessary evil, and that it would all be better sooner rather <laughs> than later. Yeah. I agree with the other two moms. It, it's there's no op- there was no option, so you just you know hold and comfort them afterwards and tell them tell them you're sorry and <laughs> it'll get better. <laughs> Carol, did you and the other ladies as well? Did you find that there was a positive change immediately after、um, the clipping, and did it extend past that first feeding after the clipping? So my daughter、uh, still has yet to really re- return back to the breast. She just has a really hard time、um, with the latch, and she still has a lot of discomfort in her gut in terms of swallowing a lot of air, and so she's sort of. A um, intense um, sparkle baby in various ways, and so trying to get her to return to the breast um, has been extremely challenging. Um, So, in terms of getting her to be able to take the bottle after the procedure, it was about the same. We didn't see improvement till um, about two weeks till the actual um, diamond shape. Incision that is made started to heal is when we started to see improvement in her bottle feeding. Up until then, she just continued to dribble、um, a lot out of her mouth and still could not get a proper latch. So、uh, for her, n- there wasn't an immediate、um, ben- or there wasn't an immediate improvement.、Um, improvement. Yeah. How about you, Erin? Nor with cash. No, actually, it took several weeks and several、um, daily. Exercises and things of that nature before he finally and improved, and now it's just perfect. Yeah. How about you, Megan? Yeah, it took about I would say a good week for my son to finally latch back on, and then from that point,、uh, 
Um, it was just trying to convince him that the breast is better than the bottle. <laughs> and final, you know, it probably took another week before we were exclusively breastfeeding and no more bottle. Dr. Ochi, do you find that it's common for after a baby has a phrenotomy that they might need some sort of extra treatment like craniosacral therapy? Um, and if so, why would that be the case? Well, that's a very interesting question because, um, Again, um, this is a new area for all of us, but I would say I, I have no background or experience with cranial sacral therapy, but I've been blown away about uh, with how many mothers um, have a positive experience with cranial sacral therapy. And I have no explanation for that, but it appears to me to be of benefit in a lot of cases. I've yet to see a single complication because of cranial sacral therapy. And so I think it's a reasonable modality. It seems to me to be probably one of the few things that can be done after the phrenotomy to help improve the chances of going back to the breast. Okay. And I know that in your practice, you actually do acupuncture on the babies as well. Yes. And actually, I'm I'm happy to report that I just became board certified. I think it was last oh, week congratulations. in medical acupuncture. So I'm certified in both ENT now and acupuncture. That's fantastic. And so why did you decide to start doing that on the babies after phrenotomy? Well, as those of us in healthcare know there is no safe dose for injecting lidocaine in little babies. And so obviously the complications, although thankfully extremely unusual, would be severe and tragic. And so for many practitioners, including myself before I learned acupuncture, you basically just go ahead and do it under no anesthesia. And often the babies would scream for about 45 minutes to an hour. And it's just heartbreaking to sit in the next room listening to that go on. So acupuncture in newborns, I've found, is highly effective, and and it ends up being, you know, something that you um, probably, uh, it's hard to describe over the radio, but essentially what they look like are little round dot band-aids, and underneath those little round dot band-aids, which is just one on each hand, are a tiny little acupuncture needle that is 0.6 millimeters. So it's about a little over half a millimeter. And one of the things that's nice is those stay in place for the next few days because, as we all know, it's not just the procedure that um, needs to you know, be dealt with. It's the following five or six days or weeks until the baby gets with the program. So what you're trying to do is to do something not only to decrease the discomfort of the procedure, but to help the baby for the remainder of their recovery, which is days. Right. And um, there are there, another thing that I've just recently added is um, Shoni Shin techniques. Now, Shoni Shin is a Japanese interpretation of Chinese acupuncture. And one of the reasons why I pursued this is because it does not involve needles. And uh, you end up doing rubbing techniques that help to... Um, basically stabilize the baby and calm him or her down both before and after the procedure. And when it works, it's unbelievable. Now, obviously, as with everything in medicine, it it's not 100%, but I've been very encouraged by that as well. Is this something that parents can do after for the days to come after the procedure as well? Yes. In fact, I, I show them um, not only how to do this, but also acupressure te- you know, points mm-hmm. that they can stimulate on their baby. And, to help with the pain. Yes. And I don't know if we talked about this before, but I've also started to offer acupuncture to help mothers with their milk supplies. Oh, fantastic. That's yes. one of my favorite remedies. <laughs> 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 so oh, that's wonderful. 
Um, ladies, did you try any additional therapies after your baby's phrenotomy? Other than um, some exercises on his movement of his tongue and placement, we did a lot of finger feeding to help him keep his tongue down and to train it to move properly, um, some jaw exercises, that sort of thing. But unfortunately, our insurance did not cover or our physician was not on board for the cranial sacral therapy. So we had to do kind of stuff on our own. But the exercises that our lactation specialist um, gave us were very, very helpful. And we were pretty religious about doing them on a daily basis because I was determined to breastfeed that child successfully. So... How about you, Carol? Yeah, so um, with the posterior tongue tie clipping, you have to do these stretching and sweeping exercises for about two weeks after um, the actual clipping. And the stretching exercises with time get less painful for the baby, but they are pretty hard for them initially. So I used um, various homeopathic stuff that was given by my lactation consultant as well as stuff I could buy at Whole Foods um, or Sprouts. And um, that helped Mallory a lot with the exercises because she's a intense baby and the stretching was hard on her um but I didn't but I wanted to make sure that nothing grew back um so I was trying to do them as strong as I could um and we also did uh cranial sacral therapy uh we did about eight sessions of it um and we noticed a difference probably um after about well, we noticed a difference right away. Um, it peaked probably about six sessions, but Mallory liked um, going, so we just continued it. Um, it didn't, doesn't hurt her at all, and, you know, she always takes really good naps after it, so I figured that she's getting some benefit from it. But I always noticed after a session, her bottle feeding, she um, dribbled a lot less. Her tongue was a lot more coordinated in her suck, um, so I could see the benefit in her. Yeah. How about you, Megan? Yeah, we just um, did the stretching, and I remember pu- um, pushing my son's tongue up to make sure that, you know, the, the tightness wouldn't come back. So that's all we did. Okay. Um, Dr. Ochi, do you remem- do you recommend tongue and mouth exercises after the procedure? That's a great question because I can understand the rationale behind it. Um, one of the unfortunate consequences of putting your finger in your baby's mouth after a procedure has been done is that obviously it hurts. And I've had so many parents call me up saying, basically, my baby, you know, cries every time I get out the gloves and I have to do this three or four times a day. And in fact, just on my way over here, I I got called by my answering service because um, they said, well, you know, one of your patients was advised to do the exercises and now the patient's bleeding. And so obviously the choices are, number one, deal with it at home. Number two, take the child to an emergency room. And so I guess I personally don't tell people to do those exercises because of these issues. I don't have a problem with lactation consultants um, advising that if they feel that that's what they want for their clients. I thankfully have not had a baby ever had to have a procedure done or get hospitalized or you know, undergo a second, um, you know, cauterization or anything like that. But I, I do think that there may be potential benefit in those exercises, but we need to 
consider what we're asking these people to do and the potential possible complications. No, that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. And there's a lot of, um, I think, discrepancy, too, with exactly how to do the stretches and sure. the exercises. So uh, sometimes I think that can be confusing for a parent who is, um, you know, has this complicated situation and not sure if they're doing them right. And so. Absolutely. No, thank you for adding that. Um, Dr. Ochi, are there any reasons why a mom would not cho- cho- or choose to not clip her baby's tongue? You had kind of mentioned um, breastfeeding was going okay. Are there any other reasons why you would recommend just kind of leaving it alone? Well, um, that too is a, a very pertinent point because as a surgeon, I find that it's fairly easy to find people to do procedures on. It's much harder to try to identify patients who probably will not benefit from the procedure uh, and advise them of that before you do surgery on them. So for me, I I think the the things I think about are nipple aversion. In other words, if the baby basically is not going to the breast and only wants the bottle, you know, doing a a phrenotomy on that child may not be uh, fruitful in the sense that the child is unlikely to want to go back to the breast just because you clip their tongue. Secondly, if a mother comes in and has real trouble with milk supply, as in it sounds unrealistic that that child is going to be able to get meaningful nutrition directly from the breast, I think we need to talk about that. And uh, thirdly, often, unfortunately, because a lot of these mothers, in my opinion, wander around in the forest before they get identified, they show up and they have severe nipple damage. As in, we also need to think about, is it realistic to think that that baby is going to be able to be put on those breasts? And, you know, uh, again, these are all subjective areas, but those are things that I think about uh, before uh, proceeding with a procedure. Okay. If I could interject, um, I know that in my instance, the damage was substantial and the pain even after the procedure was done was continued for a very long period of time, so much so that I spent one entire week only pumping because I had to give myself that break. I could not put him to my breast. But then I continued to try again and it took about six weeks. But so, yeah, definitely the the damage psychologically, physically, and emotionally to a woman is is noticeable. Yes, and I think that's a, an important point. And some mothers obviously are, are up for that challenge. And some will quite frankly say to me, thank you for telling me about this because I can't go through it, you know, because of work issues or what's going on at home. And so, again, it's important for me to identify this and discuss these issues before doing the procedure, because obviously once you do the procedure, they're committed to a recovery, as in it's too late to talk about not doing it. Sure, sure, <laughs> absolutely. And um, and then just to kind of round this out, so um, can a tight frenulum cause challenges with other things other than breastfeeding sure. that might be worth clipping, even if the mom has decided not to breastfeed? The three big waves of kids that I see with tight frenula are, number one, obviously newborns with difficulty breastfeeding, but secondly, Around, say, six to nine months when the baby's being transitioned to solids, the mothers will come in and say something like, hi, this child chokes, and I'm so paranoid. With every meal that I give her, I just feel like we're on the verge of of doing the Heimlich maneuver. And in fact, some of those mothers have done the Heimlich on their baby. And I remember one mother came years ago, and she said, the few times that we've had a babysitter, I've had to tell the babysitter, you must not give anything that is not contained within this Ziploc bag 
because, in other words, she was that paranoid about her baby, you know, choking. And thirdly, the the third big wave is children who are just about to enter kindergarten, where the mother will say, hi, no one outside of this family can really understand this child. I have to be his interpreter for most interactions. And obviously it's because, you know, they're physically unable to, to produce the sounds uh, clearly. So those are the three big waves. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Ochi, for your expertise and insight into tight frenula and their effects on breastfeeding and on other things, other developmental milestones as well. We really appreciate it. I very much appreciate this opportunity because I think all of us need to get the word out. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Before we wrap things up, here's Denise Altman talking about nursing basics for the new mom. Hey there, boob group. My name is Denise Altman, and I'm a private practice IBCLC, otherwise known as a registered lactation consultant. Private practice means I have my own business, and I specialize in prenatal education and breastfeeding support. This session is about prenatal prep to breastfeeding, something I definitely have an opinion about. When you're thinking about prenatal preparation to breastfeeding, it's good to start with the birth. A great way to prepare for the birth is to educate yourself, and where better than a prenatal birth class? There are lots of options out there for you, from hypnobirthing to private classes, Lamaze, Bradley Method, Cascade Birth, you name it. Lots and lots of classes to help you prepare. Some are short, one-day classes offered through your local hospital or birth center, Others are a series over a weekend or maybe even a course of several weeks. The type of class or the brand of class is going to suggest the length of it or the duration as well as the structure and the content. When choosing a birth class, be sure to explore your options. Find out what's in your community. Some classes are done privately through private instructors, lactation consultants, or even doulas. As I said earlier, other classes are done through your hospital or birth center. When you're exploring your options, take time to go to the organization's website, such as Lamaze or ICEA or Bradley, as well as talk to the individuals in charge of the classes where you're attending or where you plan to attend. Find out the details, who's doing the teaching, what they are teaching, how is this going to best prepare you for the birth. I hope that the information in this session can help you get started on exploring your options. For additional tips on choosing a breastfeeding class or a birth class, please visit my website at feedyourbaby.com and keep listening to The Boot Grip. So that will round out our show today. If you have any advice you'd like to share about your breastfeeding experience with a baby with a tight frenulum, we would absolutely love to hear about it. All you have to do is call the Boob Group hotline at 619-866-4775 and leave us a message and we'll share your story on an upcoming episode. You can also add it to the comment section at the end of this episode on the Boob Group website, which is www.theboobgroup.com. Coming up next week, we'll be discussing breastfeeding criticism when it's none of their business. Thanks for listening to The Boob Group, because mothers know breast. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of new mommy media and should not be considered facts. 
While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.